Can't believe this, everybody, but we are back with a fresh, probably the most jubilant episode ever for you, fellow Hunching Tigers fan, because we're the winners. We are the champions. Sanjay, we did it, man. Welcome to H10 Hunching Tigers English News. I'm the host, T-Ray. And as I just mentioned, Sanjay is with us all the way from Hawaii. This is episode 187. And today for us here in Japan, it's Tuesday, November the 7th. What, maybe 36 hours from the are no are. (laughs) So today on the show, what else can we do but talk about the Japan series, Sanjay? I mean, man. Okay. Everybody, you have to forgive us. We have no idea how long this episode is going to be. And uh, we just hope that you trek with us through this because there's nothing but good in this episode. Well, other than the Buffalo's wins, but who cares? They lost in the end. Anyway, Sanjay, are you ready <laughs> to give our fans and the Hanshin Tigers fans their required supercharged dosage of HT dopamine 2023 style? You better believe it, brother T-Ray. All right, then let's go. It's time. Yes, it is time for the rumors and news. So we're mostly talking about some news here. And before we get to the Japan series, traditionally, you know, for us Hanshin Tigers fans, the annual draft comes after the season's over. But it isn't after the season's over because it always, right, takes place between somewhere in the middle of the uh, playoffs. So after the final stage of the Climax series, which explains why the Tiger season is usually over and the start of the (laughs) Japan series, right? Because the last time we were in the, uh, the Japan series was 2014. That's right. So there you go. So the draft took place on the 26th of October, which was a Thursday. And this is how it went down for us, Hanshin Tigers. We're going to mention names. We don't know a ton about these guys, so we're not going into deep details here. But it seems everybody's very high on our first draft, first round pick, who we, whom we got uncontested because there were some big names out there. And the Tigers purposely elected to avoid getting into a lotto for those guys. And we went with this right-handed pitcher named Kaito Shimomura, out of Aoyama Gakuin University, correct? That's correct. Yes. And he is um kind of a short statured guy. Like he's not um very tall. I think he's like five foot eight, five foot nine, maybe. Something like that. Yeah. But then I think like the success of Shoki Murakami played into this big time. Yeah, basically they said he's Murakami 2.0. Yeah. So you know, we take that, we got Murakami 1.0, the original, right? Uh the prototype who is what, 25 years old. Mm-hmm. And then we've got his protege at age 22. Not too bad. Not bad. And in fact, um, Shimomura won't turn 22 until like March. I think it's March 19th or something. Like he's he's the younger drafty. He's still 21 and will be until like oh, just wow. before the season starts. So, I mean, that's that's great for us. You know, if we can have another Murakami in there, look out league. <laughs> <laughs> we followed it up with getting a guy out of the indie leagues in Shikoku. Uh, played for the Tokushima Indigo Sox is a right-handed pitcher named Tsuyoshi Shiba. And apparently he's going to be a reliever. He's got, he throws some gas, right? He does. He's got gas. And uh, again, I, I think he's not particularly tall. Like he might, he might be scraping six feet, but he might not. I think he's under six feet, maybe five ten, something like that. But mm-hmm. that's almost the theme here. We got a couple of infielders in rounds three and four. We got Shuya Yamada out of Sendai Ikue High School, so a young 18-year-old. Um, 
And then a pick that everybody seems surprised that we could get in the fourth round, and that would be Aoi Momosaki, another infielder. This guy's a little bit beefier than Yamada. Um, he came out of Tokai Kumamoto, and he's got an interesting story uh, that they talked about on the uh, the post-draft special. Like He actually quit playing high school ball because he was super frustrated with stuff. And then he ended up um, being asked back by his junior high school classmate um, in Kumamoto. said, hey, man, like I know you dropped out of school. You dropped out of baseball. Because I think he was in like Tokyo or something. He dropped out and he went back home to Kumamoto. And he's like, dude, come back and play ball with us. And he did. And he just tore it up. And his stock went through the roof. And the Tigers got him in the fourth round. Good story. Yeah. So um, just a reminder, like, you know, we got... um, Maegawa a couple of years ago in the fourth round and he was out of high school and he's he's a burgeoning star as well so I kind of feel like this is our pick where we're getting these guys that could end up being excellent players the next two guys that we got are right-handed pitchers that I've I'd never heard of um kind of understandably um because later picks tend to be kind of the fringe or minor players but that doesn't mean they're not going to produce because we've gotten some excellent picks in both the fifth and sixth rounds in the past including closer Suguru Iwazaki uh, a decade ago, right? He was picked in the sixth round, I believe. So anyways, we got Yuya Ishiguro, a right-hander out of JR Nishinihon, which is in Hiroshima. And then we got Junya Tsuda, who played for Osaka University of Economics. And by the way, um, Shimomura is a a Nishinomiya boy, right? Our first round boy. Yeah, that's right. right. He grew up idolizing the Tigers. And I just read today, he is hoping to get that number 19. Ooh. Which, as you know, belonged to Shinchan, right? And he said, Hey, I grew up watching Fujinami. If I'm allowed to get that number, it would be an honor. And so that was just really cool to hear. That is cool. Yeah. Shiba is from Osaka as well. And then um, Tsuda is from Osaka or from the Kansai region as well. So we got a lot of guys that are kind of close to home, if you will. And I really like that. I really think that's a great thing uh, for the team. Yeah, it's good, easy for the locals to root for them too. Absolutely. And I always felt like, you know, if you go back to the grassroots of baseball, like the, the majority of players that played for the Hanshin Tigers were Kansai boys back in the day because you didn't yeah. have scouts all across the nation. Right. That's right. Yeah. So I think it's great to have kind of a resurgence of that, if you will, if, if that is in fact the case. Okay. And then we had a couple of um, development picks. We, we went into the development uh, Ikuse draft, if you will, and we got a right hander named Kai Matsubara who again played indie league. He played for the Toyama, Toyama GRN uh, Thunderbirds. It's not GNR. It's not the Guns N' Roses Thunderbirds. Though. <laughs> that would have been sick. Anyways, yeah. And then we got in the second round, we got an outfielder named Kane Fukushima out of Hakuo University, which is where Oyama came from. And yeah. um, I haven't really seen footage, but I'm kind of hoping that he could be like our Shuto of the Hawks. Ukyo Shuto of the Hawks, who's just nothing but lightning on the base paths. So it'd be great to have him in the lineup someday. Interesting first name, though. Yeah, Kane, right? Mm-hmm. Um, see if he's able to kill the opponent. <laughs> I see what you did there. Biblical reference. Hope you caught that. Kane and Abel. Anyhow, yeah. There you go. So that is our pick, our, our crop. And you know, like as the draft took place, I was kind of upset about this. And I'm, I'm not upset anymore, but I was like, don't we need a catcher? Don't we need an outfielder? Um, why are we leaning so hard into right-handed everything here? But I mean, if you do look at the the team roster, I mean, it does make sense because we do have quite a few lefty hitters and quite a few lefty pitchers um, in abundance. And so um, it sounds to me like 
most of the experts are happy with this draft. Okada himself was very happy with this draft. He Sanjay himself, himself was very happy with this draft. I was happy too, but Okada gave himself 100. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you want to read a little bit more about other teams' drafts or whatever, like Japan Ball has an article that just came out, which basically recaps every team's draft. And um, Yaku Cosmo, who many of you might know as kind of another guru, um, English-speaking guru of Japanese baseball on X, um, as well as YouTube, um, he wrote the article and he gave each team a grade as far as how he thought they did in the draft. And obviously his his grading was not to say like, well, this is the kind of crop this team will get out of this draft, but rather, did they address the needs they had? Right? Because that's yeah. all you can do with a draft. Like we can look at this and say on paper, like, yeah, we got the best draft ever and none of these guys pan out, right? Which is what's happened to the team. Like the 2014 draft for the, the Tigers was not a very good one, right? In retrospect. Yeah. So, you know, we're only going to know five years down the line if this crop was outstanding or average or terrible. But looking at them, uh, you know, they passed the eye test. We'll say that with flying colors. Mm -hmm. So let's hope for all the best for these guys. We welcome you to the team. And, uh, you know, it's going to be about a month from now that they receive their numbers and also that they are officially welcomed onto the team. It usually is at the start of December. So you'll see that report probably on the H10 website. Um, I don't know if we're going to have a podcast that um, gives those exact details, although probably in the spring we'll mention it. Yeah. Okay, two more things in rumors and news. Um, And we've mentioned these already, but we need to remind the fine folk out there because it's coming up pretty soon, a couple of weeks from now, the victory parade, right? You show Paredo. You show Paredo. Yeah, because it was uh, the Kansai Derby and both Kansai teams won their respective leagues, um, the Tigers will be doing a morning parade in Kobe. And at that same time, the Oryx Buffaloes will be in Osaka doing theirs. And then they're flipping rolls in the afternoon. So the Tigers will go to Osaka um, and the Buffaloes will come to Kobe at 2 p.m. Yeah. So it's just for details, if you're locals and you're not sure exactly where the parades are going to be, the Kobe one is on Flower Road in Sanomia, and I believe the Osaka one is Midosuji. Yeah, that, I think that's right. That tends to be where they do it. It's not going to be the Dotonbori, so don't go there. That's not where the parade is. <laughs> there was yeah, lots of partying there on other nights, but yeah. Yeah. I did see a comment, though, about how the last time they had a Yusho Paredo was after they lost the Japan series. Mm-hmm. And so it was a bittersweet um event for them in terms of their memory you know it wasn't all sweetness and grace and happiness so this one they're really looking forward to just really really enjoying it totally understandable i mean especially after losing by a combined score 33 to 4 last time i mean you know the the whole tigers nation was shell-shocked so to hold a parade after that would have been you know slightly underwhelming but this time yeah it is going to be an explosion of joy can't wait and two days after that, actually, the Tigers are going to kind of return the favor to the fans. Fan Appreciation Day takes place at Koshien Stadium on November the 25th, Saturday. So I think tickets for that are all free. But two uh, kind of side notes on that. One, it doesn't mean you, you're guaranteed a ticket. There are certain channels you have to go through. Uh, there's draws within fan club, within the general fan populace, and certain magazines or certain other uh, organizations are giving away tickets as well. That's one. And then secondly, if you don't like the idea of it being free, you can always go online and people are trying to flip those tickets for a huge profit. So you can get them that way as well. 
there's one way or another you might be able to. But any idea how many, roughly? Because they open up the infield seats, right? Okay, so for the Fan Appreciation Day? Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, um, they had somewhere between twenty five and 30,000 there, I think, last time. Okay, I was going to say 20,000 sounds about right. Yeah, so it's not... It's not like a full stadium they don't they don't have all the seats open so it's not going to be 42,654 or whatever the number is but it will right. be upwards of you know it'll be a pretty full house yeah yeah should be good times all right what was well that? that does it for the rumors and news but we do need to look in on the import did you hear something coming in from around the world foreign import So um, we've got, of course, five imports on the team. And um, how many of these guys played in the Japan series proper? I believe, uh, I believe four of them did. Four of them did, Sha. They, they did have, they're in the books. They made appearances. Three of them had what I would call bit parts. One of them played a major role. We'll get to that later. So we're not going to spoil uh, who that was. Although if you watch the series, you know full well who it was. <laughs> so let's just go through them uh, one by one we'll kind of go in order of uh seniority if you will as far as experience with the team so kk kyle keller um he left the team in august of course we know that and it was a family related matter and uh speculation is that he won't be back although sanjay you found an interesting um tweet or post if you will um that kind of showed that there are five different newspapers giving reports about the fate the future of these imports and all of them were slightly different, weren't they? Yes, that's right. And so, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But right. when, when they're unanimous, it kind of means something, I think. Right. So I think um, you can give the full details, details on this, but KK, it was, was it unanimous or close to unanimous that he's done? It's four out of five said he was gone. Right. And one said undecided. Right. So the deal with KK is this. Um, performance, I don't think, should affect whether or not he comes back but the fact that he missed well i guess almost three months if you include the playoffs mm -hmm. um to deal with a family yeah. matter would indicate and, and again we're not going back to the the dark ages of like oh randy bass left the team and blah 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 it's not like that kind of scandalous thing right but um if he leaves for that long the question is not his loyalty to the team but rather his ability to be able to come back to the team and stay with the team right we don't know the nature of this yeah. family issue for sure so is this going to allow him to come back next season and stay or is this an unstable situation that might require another return you know mid next season and if so the team might say look if you're putting family first like we understand but we can't sign you back you know what i'm saying yeah i do understand and i have no idea what the answer is on that one i don't have any inside scoop right so that's that's that i mean all of you as well, you can just kind of take that for what it's worth. And that's, that's as far as we can go with it. So that's KK's status. We'll go then to the uh, position players and Noisy. Um, what was the status on that? What did the papers say about his chances of returning next year without any spoilers? So all five of them said it was a, a fluid situation. Right. Yeah. So Noisy. And then why don't we just get right into MSS as well? Because I think the... Um, the signing or the re-signing of one would affect the other. I mean, if one gets re-signed, maybe the other doesn't or, you know, whatever. So what about Mia says, what are they saying? Five of five said he's staying. Wow. Okay. So perhaps this is something that I don't know if it was leaked after the Japan series 
um, during, before, but I mean, it does seem like Okada has taken a shining to Miasis. He most certainly has, for sure. And the indications are like a lot of people are saying, well, we're hoping that he really comes out and explodes in 2024 um, because he certainly didn't this year. He finished the year with five home runs and 16, 19 RBIs, something like that, and a 222 batting average. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas Noisy, just to branch back to him, finished with somewhere in the 240s for his average, I believe, and nine home runs and 50, the high 50s in RBIs. Yeah. So neither overwhelming, um, neither is, as you can tell from these uh, newspaper reports, you know, it, there's no overwhelming, uh, you know, majority that would say or unanimously say, hey, this guy needs to come back, right? Based on those numbers. Based on those numbers, no, yeah. Right, right. So there might be some other factors in there, and we'll get into that a little bit later, perhaps, as well. Um, How about Beasley and Brewer? Now, Beasley uh, was signed before the season started as a reliever, ended up doing some starting as well. He was a spot starter. He did long relief during the Japan series. And what is his potential status for next year? What have you read or heard? So for Bees, um, actually for both Bees and Cole Brew, um, three out of five said it was kind of a fluid situation was to be determined. Hmm. Interestingly for Bees, the other two said he was staying. So there's no question, you know, it was a, he's either staying or, or it's CBD, but no one said he's leaving. All right. 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 Uh, as opposed to Cole Brew, where while well, three said that it was TBD, um, one said he's staying and one said he's gone. So a little bit more split. Right. So if we're actually. If, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that there's a there's a video clip of him saying goodbye as there's for all the players at um, the airports just before they took off. Uh-huh. He made some uh, sort of what could be a, a telling comment saying good luck next year mm. to the fans mm. take that for what you will okay so just to maybe add a little bit to that um <clears throat> on tuesday i actually bumped into mrs brewer at koshian oh, got cool. to talk to her a little bit and so this is the rumors part, I guess, of this. And I know we finished rumors and news, but um, I had I actually straight up asked her, I was like, hey, has the team talked to you about next year yet? Like, is he is he coming back? And if you can't share, like, that's fine. And, and she's like, oh, they haven't said anything yet. But I don't know how to take that because I think, you know, especially because the team was still playing, right? Mm-hmm. And if they had said, just for example, right? If they had said, oh yeah, we want you back next year. And then all of a sudden, you know, it was before game three that I talked to her, right? So if... You know, right. at, at the two game point, if they'd already said, yeah, come back next year and then he tanks, right? Then what? Or the yeah. opposite, right? If they cut him loose and then he's the savior in one or several of those final five games, then what? So it makes sense that they would wait till the off season proper for all five of these guys, unless there's an overwhelming, you know, stat or something undeniable in there. Like this guy has to stay or this guy has to be let go. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And- yeah, and it made me wonder, like, when is that going to happen? So, you know, I can go back into the H10 archives and look at the offseason news. And it seems to me that it was often like sometime in December, really, that the team officially welcomed guys back. Like some uh, rep, team rep, would go to America and sit at, you know, a hotel, restaurant or airport, whatever, and sign the contract with them. Yeah, I think you're right. I think December so, is about all that to say, stay tuned to H10 because we will report on all of that, of course, as we always do. 
So there you go. Those are the imports. And of course, um, I have little doubt that um, Jerry Sands and Jeff Williams are looking for other talent as well, regardless, because I mean, that's their job. So there will be rumors flowing probably um, soon. And obviously, you know, they, they have finished their observations because there's no baseball for them left to observe. But there's got to be a list out there somewhere of potentials. And it will be leaked. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Before we get into recapping what all of you want to hear, let's thank some of our patro- uh, patrons out there from patreon.com slash the Hunching Tigers. We got a new patron named Mike, and I didn't get any details, but thank you, Mike, for your patronage. We got Chad in location unknown, Jamie in Okayama, Anita in Nishinomiya, Joe in Wakayama, Tom in Osaka, JD in Kyoto, Tokyo Swallows podcast, Mario in the USA, Shane of Japan Ball, Blaine, Ian, and Rick. Sorry to lump you all together again in Texas. Congrats to the Rangers, by the way. I know Ian's a fan of the Rangers, so congratulations. Jay in Minnesota, Sean in Manchester, Fran in the UK, and Yana in Osaka now, but in Helsinki in the summer. Thank you all. Thank you, patrons. Take a deep breath, Sanjay. We are about to recap the seven games of the Japan series. That's right. If you were living under a rock and you're not aware, this one went the distance. And oh man, what a series. What a series, Sanjay. You called it seven games. I did. I said Tigers in seven. Now I predicted a different ending than what happened, but who cares? Um, I predict I got the, the prediction right. Um, so just as a prelude, if you will, um, this would be the first Kansai Derby or all Kansai Japan series since 1964, which also involved our Hanshin Tigers. The Nankai Hawks defeated us in seven, and they did it on um, on the shoulders of Joe Stanka, the Nankai Hawks ace, who shut us out in games six and seven. Back-to-back CGSOs, man. Crazy, man. Doesn't happen anymore, but it did in 1964. So, yes. I mean, I kind of wonder if the uh, if the Buffaloes had been able to do it and if they were reckless enough, would they have brought Yamamoto in for games six and seven? No way, Jose. In the 1960s, they might have, but not in 2023, especially with a guy who's headed to the majors and no major league team would forgive the Buffaloes for doing that to their future ace. And I think Oris could use the posting money too. Absolutely. Absolutely. They'll use it to restock. Okay, let's get into the action then. So games one and two took place at Kyocera Dome in Osaka under the roof, right? And uh, the big game one, this is one where the Tigers want to make a big statement, right? We're going up against the ace of Japan, uh, the hottest free agent pitcher not named Otani. Um, So it's Shoki Murakami against Yoshinobu Yamamoto, right? And for four innings, this one went exactly as everyone expected. You know, Sanjay, just to, to spoil everything here, everyone said this is going to be a low-scoring low scoring series, right? That's right. Now, what would your definition be of a low-scoring series? You know, two runs wins you the game. Yeah, maybe three on a high-scoring day, right? Yeah, exactly. But kind of also saying that he was expecting a 2-0 game. Yeah. I mean... Anybody in the right minds, you know, as I'd said, I think uh, earlier, you know, all the experts too, they all talked about this being low scoring. The lowest score that won a game was four. And that was only one of these games just to kind of pump up the fact that there was scoring in these games. Okay. So four (laughs) innings though, for four innings, this series went exactly as expected. And then after that, none of the rest of it did. (laughs) In the top of the fifth, um, Sato hit a single kind of up the middle 
against Yamamoto and he stole second on the first pitch of the next at bat. Um, head first slide into second base. That was pretty good, especially on the heels of the fact that um, Nakano got caught stealing earlier in the game. Yeah, and so that, uh, according to a lot of people, including Okada, was a huge turning point in the series for uh, in favor of the Tigers. Uh, like you say, Nakano got caught stealing in that first inning. Nobody would have expected Sato to run. And, of course, he did. And he went on the first pitch. That he, had, he had a green light. And the yep. first pitch decision was his. Right. Yeah. So it was two batters later. Uh, number seven DH, Watanabe. Ryo Watanabe. Hit a bloop single that scored Sato from third base. But that wasn't it. Because uh, Chikamoto, uh, a couple batters later, it was, I think, two outs and runners on first and third or something like that. He hit a two RBI triple to right center. And then Nakano knocked him in on an amazing hit. Do you remember that one? Oh, yeah. He went down and got it. Yes. It kind of all jumbles together because we watched seven games of baseball and some amazing batting, some amazing fielding, some amazing pitching throughout. Anyways, yes, it was a low fork ball, I believe. And he poked it through the left side. Um, As you said, he went down and got it. Right. Um, yeah. So that made for a four run inning. Yep. Four run inning. And you'd think, wow, we got four off of Yamamoto. We did it. But the very next inning, we said, nah, this is just the, the beginning of the fun. So Oyama walks, Noisy hits a single, Kinami knocks Oyama in, uh, Sakamoto knocks uh, Noisy in, and then yeah. Nakano knocks Kinami in, something like that. Anyways, we got um, three more runs there. Right. So 7 0. Yep. Yamamoto's out of the game, right? How did that yep. happen? Unbelievable. These are the rumors that Yamamoto is the Kershaw of Japan, right? Because his game <laughs> yeah. in the uh, in the final stage against the Marines was also a stinker. Yeah. And this was the first time in his career he allowed seven runs. His Who'd whole career, it? man. Yeah. So meanwhile, on the flip side, we got Murakami who's dealing Seven innings pitched, just two hits against, one walk, and four strikeouts. So completely shutting them down. Woohoo! Kajia, so we should point out that, yep. we point out that the Murakami and Yamamoto are the same age, and one makes about 10 times as much as the other one. And so Murakami has a bit of a chip on his shoulder about going up against Yamamoto. I didn't realize they were the same age. I they probably could have guessed about the salaries. But then the other thing, too, is that um, we didn't mention this. This is a rematch of the June Interleague Series in which Yamamoto shut out the Tigers for eight innings. Or I think it was eight, and then the closer came in. But we lost two to zero in this same mm-hmm. matchup, right? So yeah. this definitely was kind of a revenge match, if you will, for Murakami. And he got her done. Um, And then Kajiya, top of the eighth, or pardon me, bottom of the eighth was clean. Top of the ninth, we add another run thanks to a Chikamoto double, a Morishita single, and a Sato RBI G5. So, 8-0, to zero, and then Iwasada fans the side in the bottom of the ninth. Yeah. And it's an 8-0, overwhelming Hanshin Tigers win. Woohoo! Now, both of us agreed that the Tigers and Buffaloes were going to split the first two at the Dome. You said they were mm-hmm. going to beat Yamamoto. I said they wouldn't, and they would win the second game. So I'll give you this victory right here because you predicted that. <laughs> and in fact, I mean, it does end up being a split because we won't go into a ton of detail, but we lost the second game by the same score as we won the first game. So eight zip. Eight zip. Yep. It was Nishi, of course, senior, right? Yuki against Miyagi. 
And Nishi uh, threw a bad pickoff in the bottom of the third. That led to a run. Um, then in the fourth, a two-out walk led to four straight hits from them after that and three more runs. So Nishi was knocked out. Beasley cleaned up his mess, but also continued um, a couple more innings, went two and a third of shutout ball. So now we are in, what would it be, the sixth inning or so. Okadome comes in. He's shaky in the bottom of the seventh. And uh, Shimamoto allowed the inherited runners to score in that situation because he had to replace Okadome, who didn't do much. Kajia um, was the victim of two errors on the, in the same inning in the bottom of the eighth, I should say. Um, so that got more runs in for them. And we had four hits all night, um, including three in the top of the fourth. Uh, but we didn't score because it was hit, then double play, then hit, then hit. So, yeah, that kind of hurt. Not a pretty game for our hit our batters. No. But a 1-1 one, one, one split. And here we go. I'm thinking, well, I remember 2014, we won game one by a mile, and then we lost the rest of the series. So I'm thinking, has the magic worn out too fast? That was a worry that went through my head. And then I was at game three, actually. Um, two days later right. at Koshien, it's Masashi Ito against Kohei Azuma. Um, and the bottom of the second, yeah, Sakamoto gets us on the board with an RBI G4. Uh, top of the fourth, they tie it up with a Tongu solo home run. And then in the top of the fifth, um, it was a combination of a few hits plus an E1 where Ito um, tried to get the lead runner at second, threw it into center field, and then some more hits. They got three more runs there, so it's four to one. And then the next inning, uh, Cold Brew comes in for his only inning of the series. Um, walk, hit, and a sack fly. I forget the exact order or sequence, but he allowed a run, so now it's five to one. And I'm sitting there in the stands thinking, why am I here? <laughs> it really was a very one-sided game up until this point. But bottom of the seventh, uh, Nakano gives us one run on an RBI G3, and then Morista with a two RBI single. Um, and we're coming alive. It's looking like a rally is happening here. Oyama hits a screamer back to third base. Um, would have been a hit against some poorer fielding third baseman and would have kept the rally going, but it didn't. So it's five to four. Bottom of the eighth, we had a chance. Bottom of the ninth, we had a big chance. Uh, was it bases loaded or bases runners on the corners or something um, yeah, in the bottom of the ninth? Right? And Oyama comes up and uh, he works the count to a full count. He looked at a couple of real close ones and then he swung at a fork ball. Man, this was this was the game seven that I was predicting minus the results. I was like, you know what? Hirano is going to crumble. But again, he did what he did all season, right? He loaded yeah. the bases. He got behind Oyama 3-0, I believe. Or uh, I don't know. It was a, it was three balls anyways. It was three balls, two strikes. No, it wasn't 3-0, sorry. But Oyama worked it to a full count. Mm -hmm. And I was like, here we go, here we go. The Hirano crumbling at last. And then uh, Oyama was victim of a, a fork ball. So lost five to four. It kind of hurt a lot. But again, a turning point of sorts. Okada said in an interview afterwards, not just after this game, but after the series was over, mm. uh, he said that he knew they were going to be okay when they came back to 5-4. Hmm. If they had lost 5-1, to one, yeah. he was afraid that the momentum would just keep going to the Buffaloes. But he knew when, when the teams showed guts and you know tenacity and clawed back to a one-run game with a winning run you know, on, on base, or that, that they were going to be okay. So that's something I think that characterized 
Okada and the Hunching Tigers in 2023. And I talked about this on, sorry to cheat on you, Sanjay, but I did a Japanese version of the podcast uh, with somebody else um, at oh, game man. seven. That hurts. <laughs> anyways, <laughs> hey, but we got to do another one later. Um, Anyways, I talked to him about this and uh, I'd said, you know what? It's the quiet confidence of Okada that really has go- characterizes this 2023 team. Like when players slumped or when they had losing streaks, or when things didn't go well, he basically just pushed it aside and said, this is baseball and it happens and it's okay. We're going to be fine. Yep. Right. Exactly. He it wasn't, all it, the difference. it wasn't the 2021, um, what's his name? Uh, Swallow's oh. manager. Why is his name oh, escaping? Takatsu. Takatsu. Thank you. Uh, with his Zetai Daijobu. It wasn't like that, but it was kind of, it's just this calming presence. Like, you know what? It's okay. Like, don't, and I, I think he really kept the media at bay, which helped keep the fans at bay, which helped the players remain confident. So, I mean, it just had a huge effect. Oh, yeah. Can't it understand. He's doing this guy, too, you know. Yeah. He's got yeah. more gravitas about the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, it did hurt to be at that game. But, yeah, like, I'm, I honestly, like, I left that 5-4 to four loss feeling all right. If it had been a 5-1 loss, I would have left the game feeling terrible as well. Like, we're doomed. This series is going south. But it didn't. That said, um, the next two games were definitely not without their drama. And it definitely did not. um, It wasn't all Tigers. And it didn't even look like the Tigers are going to win either of these games. (laughs) True. But here we go. Calendar flips to November. It's uh, Hiroto Saiki against Sachi Yamasaki at Koshien Stadium for game four. Bottom of the first, Morita hits an RBI double off the left field wall. So a good start to the game. And I, I really felt like, you know, this, if anyone is the is the pitcher that we're going to be able to hit in this series was Yamasaki. So mm-hmm. that was a good start. But in the top of the second, Kudabashi tied it. Um, there was a triple that probably shouldn't have been a triple, right? Um, yeah. A funky bounce off the wall and Shikamoto didn't feel it cleanly. And then Morita wasn't there to cover. So it could have been a double, ended up being a triple, right? Yeah. And then a drawn-in infield, and Kurebashi muscled one over first base. It probably would have been a regular fly ball if they'd been at regular depth, but that's Japanese baseball. Bottom of the second, though, uh, Chikamoto with an RBI single, and bottom of the fifth, Oyama, uh, being his typical Oyama self, right, um, breaks up double play, runs all out to first base, and a run scores on this. So that was clutch. That was key. Uh, that gives us a 3-1 to one lead. Saiki uh, went five innings, allowed one run, but his pitch count was really high, so he ended his start after five innings. Kirishiki came in in the sixth, did well. Um, seventh, did not do so well. And Mune ended up tying up the game on a single. So it's three to three now. And they're still knocking on the door to take the lead, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they had been knocking, I mean, much of the game, right? The Buffaloes were basically like pushing back on us. And we were like the army that, you know, we just had to hold for it, hold for it, and make sure that they don't knock down the city walls. Because it yeah. felt like that's what was happening. And yeah. side note and full confession, as a Tigers fan who gets a little bit too involved, like I was literally so sore to my stomach. I had a st- and I my heart was palpitating as I had to stop watching, man. I did not watch from Mune's single, basically. And when they changed the pitcher, and then in the eighth, I didn't watch. I didn't continue watching until the bottom of the ninth, man. <laughs> And I laugh at myself now about that, but no word of a lie. And this is getting maybe a little bit personal, but back in 2014, at the end of the Japan series was when 
I got diagnosed with Graves disease, which is not a super serious thing. And it's not an issue in my life anymore, but it's brought about by stress, says the doctor. That's one of the reasons that Graves happens. And that's not to say my Graves was caused by the 2014 Tigers team. I'm not blaming them (laughs) at all. But the fact that, I mean, my life was stressful at that time. And then when this was happening and I felt my heart palpitating again in 2023, flashback to 2014 and I'm going... T-Ray, man, you can't let this happen again. You can't let Graves come back. And that's why I stopped watching, man. I was scared almost for my life in a weird sort of way. That's over-dramatizing it. But I really was scared that Graves might come back and and get me again. (laughs) So in retrospect, like I feel good today. So no worries about that. But um, all that to say, the Buffaloes were threatening. And even in the eighth inning, um, Ishii came in, Shimamoto came in, and then Man, this was another serious turning point, wasn't it? And I missed it. But who came into the game in the top of the eighth? Yuasa. That's correct, right? Didn't they have, they had runners in scoring position. Yeah. Right? He comes in. This is his first mound since June when he faced the Oryx Buffaloes. When he got tattooed for two home runs to lose us that ser- the game and the series. And after that, it was injury, but it was also, I think, partly mental. I mean, it was physical, but... Man, you saw him on the mound when he had those two run, two home runs hit against him, right? In June, remember that? Yeah, I remember that. I mean, he looked like a man that was morally, or pardon me, like mentally defeated completely. Yeah, he was devastated. But he comes in in this situation, right? Having not pitched in a meaningful game in four months. And he did it, man. Yeah. One pitch. Revenge. One Sweet pitch. Revenge. One pitch. But, man, if, if you listen to or read or watch anyone talk about this series they're going to talk about his appearance and how koshian exploded when the call was made for him to come to the mound and then exploded once again when he got the out on that one pitch yeah and i think okada himself said that um he knew that he was going to change the the mood in the stadium yeah, I mean, and that's another great thing about Okada, right? He reads into even those situations, not just yeah. the game on the field, but off the field as well. Like, this is going to change the atmosphere here. And it did. Yeah. So um, he gets out of that jam in the eighth, and then we did nothing in the bottom of the eighth, or we didn't score, I should say. Um, top of the ninth, um, Iwazaki comes in and pitches a relatively clean, clean inning. Um, and then the bottom of the ninth is where things get interesting. They bring out Jacob Wagesback, and I have nothing against the guy, uh, but he he looked awful, right? He walked mm-hmm. Chikamoto, and then a couple of wild pitches brought Chika to third base third, during yeah. during Nakano's at bat. Nakano's at a full count, and Nakajima, their manager, calls for an intentional walk. Yeah. Right? So it's like, okay, there's one out and a runner mm-hmm. on third. I get it. Right, you try right. to set up the force of a double play mm-hmm. to get out of the jam, but then he calls for another intentional walk to Morista below the bases, which I also totally get because mm-hmm. then you can play the runner at home. It's the force out at home, force out at home, and then if you get that second out, then you go back to regular depth, regular strategy, right? Or, or even idea they would get a force at home and then throw the guy out at first too. Right, 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 yeah. exactly. So I totally understand that, you know, um, and Oyama's due up and Oyama again, like you go back to game three, he had two really good situations. One, he hit the ball well and didn't get the hit. The second one, he struck out, right? Mm-hmm. And he's not having a great series to this point. 
So I kind of get like no. Morista has gotten RBIs in every game so far, right? So I yeah. that's another reason to walk him and face Oyama. But man, there had to be some serious fire in Oyama's belly. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You're gonna load <laughs> the bases for me. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Full count, right? And I mean the umps were generous because it was a 3-0 count to Oyama. That fourth pitch, that was ball four, man. But anyways. They get up to a full count. They gave him the generous uh, strike call. And on a full count, he laces one through the left side of the infield, walk-off win. Yeah. So Woo-hoo. this ties the series. And, you know, this, again, partially because of Yuasa's appearance, but this brings the momentum back in the Tigers' favor. Right? Totally. Yes. So do we want to talk more about that game, or should we move on to game five? We can move on to game five. All right, so here we go. It's November the 2nd now. Thursday, and it's Kotaro Otake on the mound against Daiki Tajima for them. And uh, who'd have thought that the most dominant pitching performance of the series, other than Murakami's game one, would come from Tajima? But it did. Mm-hmm. So, um, Otake serves up a home run to Gonzalez in the top of the fourth. It's one to zero. No biggie. Um, Otake was definitely a good pitcher on this day. Five innings pitched, one run, much like Saiki was the day before. Mm-hmm. Um, Kirishi. Kirishiki, a hard name to say, comes in, uh, gives up a hit, um, or pardon me, Mune got on base somehow in the top of the seventh. It might have been a walk, might have been a hit. But then um, Mori is at the dish. Mune is on first base, and Nakano gets to the ball, right? Um, Shows ball, his yeah. outstanding range, but isn't yeah. able to squeeze it and pick it up, and it, it gets past him. So Mune heads yep. to third. And Morishita charges to get the ball and tries to barehand it, and it's just rolling. It's not like it's not coming at him fast, right? Tries to yeah. barehand it for some reason that's beyond me because he could have just, you know. He could have just picked up his glove. Yep. And Mune would have had no inkling to take home. But because Morista overran the ball, <laughs> Mune made well, it home. He, he actually touched the ball. He and and as he was going to pick it up, yep. it kind of like slipped right out. Yeah, so that was his big, what looked like it was going to be a fatal error because that gave them the uh, insurance run that they were probably after at this point, right? So it's two yeah. to zero, and Tajima comes in for the seventh and shuts us out again. So seven innings of shutout ball for him, just 83 pitches. He could have gone the distance, man, and I thought he would. Yeah, and a lot of people said that they probably should have let him go the distance, or at least and one every- more inning. Yeah, everything, you know, everything in hindsight is 2020. So you could look at that and say, well, Nakajima, why did you walk the bases loaded in game four? Nakajima, why did you pull Tajima? But again, it's all stuff that if you think about it logically, like it does make sense. Like it was the third time through the order for Tajima. Mm -hmm. If you look at his past, like he's not the type that does well later in games. Most starters don't, right? Sure. And you've got one of the best bullpens in in baseball, right? You got Yamazaki. And Udagawa as your setup guys, they were both Samurai Japan. You got Hirano, mm-hmm. the veteran, as your closer. And you got two innings to preserve a two-run lead. Yeah. So probably 95% of the time, that's the right move to make. Right call, yeah. Yeah. But welcome to the 5% because it didn't work for them this time. <laughs> so what happened was in the bottom of the eighth, um, Kinami with a generous infield hit call. Um, I think it would have been a G four. It was a it was a dribbler that their second Probably. baseman had to charge to get, and yeah. he threw it over Gonzalez at first. So Kinami gets second base. 
Mm-hmm. I don't care what they call it. He's on second base. <laughs> yeah, that's what he Ito, Itohara with a clutch single to left. So now we got runners on the corners. Chikamoto with an RBI single. So now it's two to one. We got runners. I think it's first and second here. Or is it corners? First and, first and Either second, way. I think. Either way, yeah. So we got two runners on with one out, and there's still the possibility, I suppose. I uh, know it's, it's first and second. You're right, because then Nakano bunted them over and gave them. I guess that would have been the first out of the inning. So it's one out runners on second and third now. Yeah. And Mori set the dish. So remember, Nakano committed the error. He atoned for it, quote unquote, with the bunt. Mori committed the error, um, the really the fatal one, um, and he makes up for it, man. Totally. And again, we talked about Nakano's outstanding hit in game one. This one, I think, was even better. This is a low fork ball or was a fastball. I'm not sure exactly which one, but it was low in the zone. And it, man, Morista had to have been waiting for that exact pitch because you can't hit that ball that far. Yeah. Well, no, actually, uh, I, I, I watched the, an analysis. I told okay. you, uh, I might have told you about this. So it was a misthrown pitch by the pitcher because they had totally set him up for uh-huh. a fastball high. Hmm. That that Morista would not have been able to catch up to, hmm. but he missed it low. So it was a fastball that went low, okay. and Morista was looking for a low pitch, right? Fork ball, whatever, right? And managed to get around on it. And did he ever? So it, it went to left center, and it went all the way to the wall for a triple. So that was the go ahead runs right there. Both runners, obviously, you know, on second and third, they scored. Now he's on third base with one out. Oyama basically produces the same type of hit. Again, it was a low pitch. That he got around to, he he poked it through. It wasn't as you know authoritative as Morista's hit, but it doesn't matter. RBI single, right? So now it's four to two. Noisy walks, and then Sakamoto hits a triple over the right field, uh, right fielder Mori, right. So yeah. two runs score. So now it's six to two, and a game that looked like it was lost is won. And kind of a one-sided game at the end. Yeah. Yeah, you know. The tail of the tape shows six to two win. It looks like we crushed them, but we crushed them for one inning. And for the first time in Japan series history, one team hit two triples in the same inning. Way to go, boys. Yeah, that second, that second one, though, Mori was playing way in. Yep. And maybe a real outfielder could have done a little bit better, but not Mori. Of, of course. But I wonder, like, I mean, I'm not going to dig into stats, but what percentage of triples are hit in situations like that or even um, situations of poor positioning or whatever by the outfielder you know it's just like sure. the, the inside the park home runs they're not really legit home runs in the sense that you know the, it was hit to the wall and the fielder was committed to catching it and then it, it took a funky bounce off the wall nobody could reach it and it's a home run right yeah. that's the way most of those inside the park home runs were yeah so it's kind of the same with this triple it's like well yeah it's not a legit triple but who cares <laughs> so um yuasa gets the win here and iwasaki gets the save actually i don't know if it was a save then because it was a four-run lead but he came in for the night. Yeah. So it's three to two Tigers going back to Kyocera Dome for games six and seven. And 75% of the time, the team with the three, two lead takes the series. That's right. That's what the stats say. Going back in the history of the Japan series, those are the numbers. Unfortunately, yeah. on the losing end of this twice are our Hanshin Tigers. <laughs> 1964 and 2003. So I don't put a lot of weight into that. And especially given that um, we got Yamamoto and Miyagi that we're facing mm-hmm. in these two games. 
I'm thinking to myself, well, it's going to come down to how they perform, right? Miyagi yeah. was outstanding in his first appearance of the series. Yamamoto wasn't, but Yamamoto is too good to be that terrible for that long. Yeah, two straight games, yeah. Right? Well, it would be three straight if you include his thing against the Marines, right? So, right. so I'm thinking to myself, well, Yamamoto is going to show up and Murakami is going to show up and we're going to have ourselves the first low scoring game of the series. And it was, in fact, the lowest scoring game of the series, but it still wasn't really that low. Now, unfortunately, game six didn't go as planned. Obviously, as you know, we've been talking about this being a seven game series. So we know the Buffaloes won this one. Murakami was not great, but the game started actually with a home run from Sheldon Noisy. Noisy. Yeah. Sheldon Noisy. And so I'm surprised this is the top of the second. We actually had more chances in the second to get more runs and we didn't end up coming through. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, man, Yamamoto's going to tank. We got this. No, not so. We got just the one run there and they got two in the bottom of the second. So immediately they got the run. Then a two run home run in the bottom of the fifth from Kurebayashi and then a solo home run in the bottom of the eighth from Tongu. Murakami went five innings, pitched four earned runs. That was his first four earned run outing this year. Yeah. Yeah. So what a time to do it. And on the other side of that, Yamamoto despite giving up nine hits to the Tigers, gave up just the one run and struck out a Japan series record 14. So he had himself a heck of a day. What a time for him to show up like that in his last start in Japan. You know what I mean? And literally the very next day, like right after game seven, he was posted. It was <laughs> announced, I think that night. Yeah, I think you're right. So, you know, 24 hours before his posting, he makes history. Good for him. Yeah, helped his stock a little bit more too. Well, you know, if, if that puts a few extra million bucks in his account, then I'm okay with it. Me too. Eventually, that's going to help the Japanese economy, I hope. Anyhow, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll put aside, especially because we won game seven, we'll put aside the sour grapes about all the generous calls that he got and how Murakami was squeezed. But that's during game six, man, that's how I felt. Yeah. I was like no, these no. umps are trying to win the Buffaloes a series. Man, there were pitches that were going over the batter's box line that were being called strikes for Miyamoto. Including the last out to Watanabe, who is a pinch hitter. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking up on X, all these people who probably didn't watch the game. And they're like, you go in as a pinch hitter and you look at strike three. Oh, another one of these three, three pitch strikeouts from Watanabe. I'm tired of him. And I'm like, if you'd been in the batter's box for that third pitch, you would not have swung either. Yeah. <laughs> Like it wasn't even close. Anyhow, anyhow, bottom line is they win five to one. And as I said, this is the lowest scoring game of the series, six runs total. And we get to a decisive game seven and the whole Tigers nation is shaken in their boots because a, the team has a history of tanking when the fans hopes are at their highest. Am I right? That's right. And B we're facing Miyagi who shut us out in game two. Am I right? You are right. Is there and a C in yeah, and okay. we've got Aoyagi on the mound who hasn't pitched the whole playoffs and has a 4.57 ERA on the season and has terrible control this year. And the umpires have been squeezing Tigers pitchers all series. Am I right? You are so absolutely right. So most of us are going, oh man, this team is going to do it again, aren't they? Although I had a quiet confidence and I don't know if I, I should boast about this because it's tough to be 
100% confident, but I was like, you know what? Aoyagi has probably got a fire burning in his belly. Mm-hmm. Much the way that Oyama did in game four when they walked intentionally walked the bases loaded, right? I'll yeah. show you. And Aoyagi is clearly saying, hey, I mean, he deserved to be you know, out of the rotation for most of the playoffs. But after having such an outstanding 2021 and 2022, this was his time to say, I'll show you. Mm-hmm. And that's what he did. He certainly did. So through three innings, this one was scoreless in a way as to be expected. Although that being said, in those three innings, man, the Tigers had some really well-hit balls that just didn't find gaps. Yeah. Golden Glover, Yuma Mune, again, robbed Oyama of extra bases. Yeah, that guy's like human vacuum cleaner over at third. He made so many plays on so many well-hit balls by Oyama. I mean, you'd almost think like, Oyama, how many RBIs and how high would his average have been in this series were it not for Mune? Yeah, I, I agree. Like this is one time I would have asked for the other Mune to be at third base, right? Murakami, Mune Taka. <laughs> yeah. Because he would have bobbled or just missed those balls. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Anyhow, that said, so top of the fourth, the Tigers finally get things going. Nakano with a single. Oyama gets hit by a pitch. And then, again, talk about hitting a pitch that had no business being hit. Sheldon Noisy with a three-run home run to deep left. Yeah. On a very low pitch, he golfed it. Holy smokes. And I mean, this is a guy that didn't show that kind of home run power all season. You know, And he goes back to back in two games. Yeah, crazy. So it's a three to nothing lead, right? And keep yeah. in mind, game six started with a, a noisy home run and fans were like, this is it, this is it, right? So I was, I was a little bit kind of apprehensive about getting too excited too soon about this one. But the very next inning, um, top of the fifth, Sakamoto with a single, Chikamoto with a single, and then Morista, Oyama, and Noisy with back-to-back-to-back RBIs. Uh, so it's now a six-to-nothing lead. Right? And we're bleeding a little easier. Definitely. And Aoyagi is dealing. He's doing quite well. Finally, in the bottom of the fifth, he gets into a jam. And after he gets the second inning of second out of the inning, um, he's pulled. So four and two-thirds, four hits, one walk, three strikeouts, no runs against. And the reason he remained at no runs against is because Shimamoto came in and got the clutch out to get out of the fifth. So, I mean, if a run or two had scored in the fifth, it would have been like, oh no, you just never know. But after that, it just felt like, this is it, man. They are not yeah. scoring six runs or seven runs against us in the last four innings. Not against our bullpen. Yeah, my thoughts exactly. And yet, we went to a non-bullpen pitcher for innings six, seven, and eight. So, I don't know if that's a bizarre choice or not. I almost would have felt like, maybe maybe Okada was guarding against, well, if somehow they pull into this tie, like we want to have some good arms for extras. I'm not sure. But we went with Ito, right? In yeah, innings six, seven, eight. Surprise. But he said later on that um, he had initially planned to go with Aoyagi and Ito and get through six innings. But oh. Aoyagi kept that pitching so well yeah. that he, and they scored so many more runs than he anticipated that he just kind of like let Aoyagi run with it a little bit longer. So he didn't know what to do. He, didn't, he thought there was going to be a 2-0 game or something. Right. And then Ito would have come in in the fourth inning. So my thinking before the the game started was we got to do what the Giants did. Oh no, I can't believe I'm saying copy Yomiuri, but was it 2007 where it was them against the Dragons in the last game of the regular season and everything was on the line. The winner of that game wins the pennant and the Giants brought their three aces, their three best pitchers and said, all I want you to do is pitch three good innings. I know you're, you're usually good for seven or eight or nine, 
but pitch yeah. three and just throw 100%. And I thought, okay, well, if Aoyagi lasts three and then Ito gets three, because I was thinking that too. And then I was like, and maybe even have Psyche there ready to go for one or two if we need him. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking that could be the combination, right? But yeah, so getting back to our narrative here, um, Aoyagi just kept dealing, right? And then Shimoto got the one out that we needed. Ito with three um, super clean innings. I think he allowed one hit in three innings, no walks. Mm-hmm. I mean, at this point, man, there's not a doubt in the world that this series is ours, right? Yeah, agreed. And then the top of the uh, so the top of the ninth, um, we get one more insurance run that was on a Morista RBI single. So now it is seven to zero, right? And yeah. um, by the way, I was at Koshien for this game. I was in the stands at the public viewing, fifteen thousand. Well, actually, twelve thousand five hundred fans going nuts. So, anyways, the reason <laughs> I bring this up is because um, between the innings, right, the bottom heading into the bottom of the ninth. Um, they did what the same thing they did on the Are day back on September 14th, right? When Iwasaki came in and what yeah. song came over the loudspeakers? Eko no By user, right? This is the walk-up song and basically the the life or even now the memorial theme song of Shintaro Yokota, right? That's right. Um, outstanding young talent the Tigers had who got diagnosed with brain tumors in 2017, had his career cut short, retired at the end of 2019 after a courageous comeback, remained kind of the heart and soul of the team in a sense, right? I mean, his mm-hmm. courage through that, and he continued to do public speaking sessions, and he was doing some YouTubing as well, just kind of keeping the fans in the know, like, hey, I'm with you guys. He passed on on July the 18th, right? So in the game, we were at July the 20th, or no, you were not there. July the 25th was his memorial game. September 14th, mm-hmm. they played that song on the day that we clinched because Iwasaki... We're going long here, but Iwasaki was drafted in the same year as uh, Yokota. Right. So they have that special connection. So now at Koshien Stadium, um, obviously, you know, the Tigers are the road team. So at Kyosara, they're not playing walk-up or warm-up music. But at Koshien, they played that song, right? Eiko no Kakehashi. And 12,000 people are singing this thing at the top of their lungs. Man, it was a just like, man, tingling, shivering, shaking, tears. It was... A crazy emotional time, man. That's it was cool, man. nuts at Koshian Stadium. <laughs> and I mistakenly said, I, I did like a very short video clip and, and I'm going to put this on YouTube so you all see it later. But I'd said, um, here we are, Iwasaki's coming into the game to close things off. Because um, I thought that's what it was. But in right. fact, Kinishiki came into the game. <laughs> so um, I guess Koshian did it as like, a, hey, this is it. This series is for Yokota. I'm thinking this is the walk-up song or warm-up song for Iwasaki now. Right, anyways, right. Kirishiki comes in, and then we're thinking, okay, the plan is Kirishiki for one out, Iwasada for one out, and Iwasaki for the closer. Was yeah. what we're imagining because Iwasada was also, also uh, in that same uh, crop as Yokota. Yeah. Well, Kirishiki kind of blows blows this by giving up a hit, and then they said, well, we got to get him his one out. We're not pulling him after one. We're you know one hit. That's not fair. He gets a double play. So now we're at two outs. So I, I think, and this is just my, again, speculation that might've been an article that I didn't see that Iwasada's mound was lost because of that, because now you can't bring in Iwasada for the last out because that honor belongs to Iwasaki. Right. Well, I mean, Okada did say that he, he knew from the beginning that you know, Iwasaki was going to get the last out. Yeah. Yeah. I was assuming it'd be the whole inning, but it was the last out. And there, it, it was quite funny in a sense, right? So I'm watching this game at Koshian, right? And 
We're like, okay, atahitari, atahitari, right? Right from the start before Iwazaki throws any pitches. And the first pitch that he throws <laughs> gets taken to the upper deck. <laughs> by not, none other than Tongu, right? So now it is, well, the shutout is blown or whatever, but we're all laughing because we're like, they ain't coming back here. You know, that was just their last fireworks. And um, the next batter comes up and Iwazaki gets him to an atoikyu. Mm-hmm. And he laces a hard single somewhere now they've got to run around base and we're like oh boy okay well who cares it's still a six-run lead and then it's again atohitori atohitori and sugimoto at the plate for them and he hits the ball hard as well it goes pretty much to the warning track mm-hmm. and noisy catches it for the last out of the game we right. won ah <sighs> 38 years the deepest exhale planet earth has ever heard <laughs> pretty much I should point out though that when when uh, Noisy caught that ball, he and Chikamoto apparently like looked at each other, and Noisy said himself like, after the game that, that Chikamoto didn't say anything, so he went and 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 caught it. Yeah, uh, and Chikamoto kind of fell behind him almost. Yeah, and then by the time he got up, he just said, "I'm just going to soak it in." So he didn't go running onto the mound, yeah, like everybody else did. And he kind of walked slowly back to the infield and just took in the whole atmosphere and the fans and all the. The cheering and screaming and pandemonium. That is too cool, man. Like Chikamoto even just doing that is cool. Yeah. To have that presence of mind to say, I'm just going to soak this in, man, little by little. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's exactly what happened, right? And then um, the result, when, when all the dust had settled, we, of course, get a series MVP, which would be Chikamoto. Who, man himself. Yeah, 14 hits. If I'm not mistaken, almost all of them were singles, <laughs> which is okay. I don't care, right? 14 for 29 for a 483 batting average. I mean, how crazy is that? How can you do that, man? That just doesn't compute. It, it almost makes me think like, yeah, he, he did it on purpose almost. Like, I almost feel like he was, you know what I mean? Like, he picked his spots. Yeah. Well, every other at bat, basically, he got a hit. Yeah. Or, yeah, <laughs> like averaging multi hits every game. Just nuts. Yeah. Crazy. So, um, and then they also have the uh, what they call, I guess, the Fighting Spirit Award, or the that goes to the opposing team's best player, the losing team's best player. And then they also have Outstanding Players Awards for uh, player awards for uh, one or two other players on the winning team. And so those went to Morista and Noisy, right? So yeah. let's just talk a little bit of accolades here. Morista seven RBIs in this series. His average wasn't particularly high, but seven RBIs sets a new rookie record in Japan series history. That's right. The record was six. I yes, and there were several players, including um, former former Giants manager Tatsunori Hara. Yeah. Yes. So now Morista's got that record until it is broken, you know, 50 years from now, and they're like, Morista will be 75 years old, and they're like, oh, I remember that, or whatever, yeah. So <laughs> there you go. Um, and then Noisy, of course, had the two home runs, right? The game six home run actually broke the Tigers' homerless stretch in Japan series baseball, it was at 14 games. That's pretty crazy too. 05, so, they got swept, no home runs. 2014, they lost in five games, no home runs. And then the first five games of this series, they had no home runs. Yep. So his name is in the record books, Sheldon Noisy. It is indeed. And also, his home run was the first by a foreigner on the Tigers since 1985, Randy Bass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's another one for you. I think that was game three. That was Bass's last home run in that series. So pretty cool stuff. Um, 
other things we want to mention. So let's go back and look at who got the wins and the losses for our team. So the wins for us, Murakami in game one, Iwazaki in game four, Yuasa in game five, and Ito in game seven. Mm -hmm. Starter only got it once. That's how close this series was. It always came down to the final innings. Or almost always. That's right. On the other hand, our three losses went to our starters. So it was Nishi in game two, Ito in game three, and Murakami in game six. The series, Sanjay, was tied in runs scored at 23 after six games. So it was pretty yeah. crazy, right? Like we won by eight, we lost by eight, right? Yeah. We lost by one, we won by one. Yeah. We won by four, we lost by four. And then evenly matched. Yep. And then game seven, uh, we won by six. So there you have it. Uh, 30 to 24 means 54 runs scored in seven games. Any way you look at that, that is not a low scoring series. It's not a low scoring series at all. No. Nobody expected this. Yeah. Another thing that maybe caused the run totals to be a bit higher was the fact that this was the most errors in a Japan series ever with 15. <laughs> which is maybe okay. typical of the Tigers, but you know, some of these errors, I mean, it's bad hops are just like weird stuff, but eight for the Tigers, seven for the Buffaloes. So it's not like that was one-sided either. No, that's right. And, and you got to admit that the dirt infield had to have something to do with it. We played three games on dirt. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, but, you know, it's interesting, you know, like as, as much as that makes it look like our defenses were terrible, like we did talk about several outstanding plays, right? That's right. No, our defense was stellar, rock solid. Ours was good, and Oryx's was good too. It was theirs, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, so Mune, we talked about multiple times. Kuribayashi at short was amazing. Gonzalez at both second and first was also outstanding. In fact, he had yeah, said, he like, Koshien is the hardest field he's ever played on. He said, I was lucky because those balls bounced into me. <laughs> so really? he wasn't taking credit for his nice playing, his fine play on defense. So there you go. I mean, the defense was great. You know, Mori made that outstanding catch in game six, was it? With Chikamoto's mm -hmm. fly ball that looked like it hit the wall yeah. first, but didn't. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we could go on and on about the great plays that were made. You know, they're all over the place. So don't let the error number fool you is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it was it was cleanly played. Yep. Except for that one double error. Yeah, exactly. That was <laughs> that was definitely uh as a low point. Foolishness right there, yeah. Okay, uh, one last thing about the games proper. Um, the TV ratings in the Kansai area for the final out of the Japan series. So we're talking game seven at night, 50%. That's I, don't crazy. I don't know what that means as compared to like regular TV viewing or regular Japan series, but 50% just seems really, really, really high. I think networks get excited about 20%. Yeah, you could be right. So two and a half times that. Yeah. Crazy stuff. Right. And then post game, of course, we had, you know, a lot of celebrating going on. Um, Koshien was absolutely nuts, of course. Um, loved being there. Here's here's a little bit of a funny note on this one, Sanjay. Um, we're watching the game on the big screen, right? At uh, on on the scoreboard. Mm -hmm. And only the infield seats are sold. So we're all yeah. quite the distance from the scoreboard. Right. And you know how they made the scoreboard one. Well, it's, it's multiple pieces, but they're able to put it all together as one piece. I mean, if you want to show yeah. one video on the whole screen, you can. And yeah. they do, right? For like yeah. when they do player introductions, like the whole screen is just a huge image of Chikamoto or Nakano, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. But the game was actually like TV dimensions. So it wasn't the full screen. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. So they had like logos of the teams on either side. Gotcha. So we were straining and like I was leaning forward as though it made a difference on like, you know, Chikamoto had a couple of hits where it was like the short hop to center, right? Like where it bounced right in front of the center fielder. We could not tell if that was a hit or not until we saw Chikamoto circling first base and staying there. Oh, really? Yeah. It was nuts. So where am I going with this? After the game, we're all going crazy. We're, we're listening to Okada's hero interview or manager interview and, you know, screaming after every answer he gives. And then all of a sudden they go, And we were like, what are you talking about? You can't end the broadcast. So, you know, like the, the scoreboard was simply showing the TV broadcast. Gotcha, gotcha. And it wasn't like the cable TV or anything. It was a network TV broadcast. And so it ended at 9.56 p.m. or whatever. Oh, no. We're going out of our minds going, the interview is not even done. And Chikamoto's interview is coming. And we want to see more, but we couldn't. What a bummer. This is Japan, right? I was like, yeah, no kidding. Typical, man. Like even the biggest game, not only of the year, this is like the biggest game in 38 years, man. Wow, that's that's almost worth like writing in and complaining to the Hanshin Tigers front office. Mm -hmm. What are you guys thinking? Mm -hmm. Holy cow, I didn't realize that was going on. Well, yeah, I mean, I would even write into dear country of Japan. Get your baseball broadcasting right. Sincerely, everybody. (laughs) Holy smokes. Yeah, so that was crazy. So so that was one celebration, of course. Then another celebration, of course, was at Kyoseta Dome, right? Where the game was played. And I wasn't there. So I just can't imagine what that was like. But of course, the um, the mythical, legendary, you know, will stay in the record books and in people's minds forever would be Dotonbori, right? Yeah. That's the land of celebrations for Tigers fans um, on the 14th of September um, at the end of the Climax series. And of course, at the end of this game was nuts. And of course, security was out in droves. And so they were trying to prevent people. They had up the sheets along the sides of Doltonbori Canal. So people couldn't jump in off of the Ebis Bridge as they did in 85 and in 03. But people found ways to jump in. So there were, from what I read, there were 30 something people who jumped in. Really? Now, I also read, and I didn't mention this last time, and now I can, I heard that they actually raised the level of the canal because it's a canal and they can kind of control these things. They raised the level. So the jump was not as precipitous or as as deep or as whatever right Right. okay yeah yeah i think they might have done that but one guy kind of made legendary status of himself and i think he's still unnamed but he dressed up as colonel sanders i don't know if you saw that (laughs) i think i saw that so he's wearing a white suit he had the fake mustache he had the white wig and he had glasses and he might even had a cane and they hoisted him in they did the (laughs) dolag to him and threw him in so there's video footage of that out there i'll try to find it and retweet it not that i want to you know glorify people that are kind of doing this kind of stuff but if we don't win for another 38 years you know who to blame we'll hunt that guy down there you go yeah and there's a cool little uh twitter video of i don't even know what that guy's called the uh, the mascot for something where the glico guy would be um jumping into the dotonbori using some cg or something it's kind of cool I didn't know about that. We'll find that, it and post it on Twitter as well. That is interesting, man. That is interesting. Okay. So there you have it. Um, Man, that's the end of the recap. That's the end of the hot topic. That's the end of everything. But I mean, 
how how do you want to sum up this season or this Japan series or anything, Sanjay? The floor and the mic is yours, man. Well, if we go back to when Okada was first selected as manager, and mm-hmm. I was high on it, you were high on it. Um, some people were not, mm-hmm. but we were saying that you know, as, as we mentioned in the podcast from a couple times ago too, um, he really made a difference. He was worth you know more than ten wins for the team. The staying influence that you said, sort of just keeping everything on an even keel. I've been there, done that. I've seen it all. Don't get too worked up. We'll be fine. And he himself said that he thought there were going to be some stretches where that they would go on a losing streak, mm. and they never did. Mm-hmm. And so he never had to crack the whip at the end of the race to to get them to a strong finish because it was just a runaway win. He didn't think it. He his his speech, which he missed at the end of the game. He said that he wasn't expecting to win. This is right. all like icing, cherry on top. Yeah, man. Um, so it is. It is totally interesting too. Like, um, as some of you might know, I had the privilege of being an interpreter for Daily Sports when they interviewed Randy Bass at the start of the season just before the opening day. And of course they asked him, you know, what do you think of your old mate, uh, Okada becoming the manager again? And he, you know, Bass said, this is a man that knows how to win baseball games. He has got so much knowledge about the game. I have very little doubt that he's going to lead the team to a championship. A certain percentage of that might've been lip service, but in the end, that's prophetic right there. He was right. Yep. Um, a couple more things I want to add uh, before we wrap up the program. One, um, and I'm, I'm not going to call this person out by name, and I'm sure that he's probably not listening anyways, but I did have somebody who was uh, texting me a lot throughout the season, and especially when the Tigers are doing poorly. And I think it, you know, it's, it's kind of reflective of the Tigers nation. You know, we've been through so much heartbreak as a fan base. Um, so many letdowns feeling betrayed by the team, by the front office, by whomever uh, didn't bring us the championship. But there was a lot of negative negativity in these messages I was getting from him. And finally, I forget when it was. I think it might have been after game five or game six or somewhere in there. I said, like, man, enough. Like, stop it. <laughs> I don't want you ruining my fun here. I'm trying to cheer for the team. Just stop it. And yeah. But throughout the season, I mean, he would say stuff like, you know, when the team went on a bit of a losing streak, I think when they got swept by the Bay Stars once or twice at home, he was like, this is not a championship team. They're not going to win the usual, like the Central League. And even if they do, they've got no chance against the Pacific League. There's no way they're going to win the Nipponichi. This team is, I guarantee you, they're not going to. And even if they do, um, it's not because of Okada. It's in spite of Okada. He's going to go down as one of the luckiest or one of the blah, blah, blah managers in history. And I was like, oh, man. So wait, wait a sec- wait, wait a second. Hang on, hang on, hang on. You're trying to tell me that you, who sits on your couch and watches the games, knows better than Okada, and that you have enough deter like you can determine managerial talent better than the people who hired Okada. I don't think so. So all that saying, I'm not again. I'm not trying to like uh you know put out a. Uh, a witch hunt on this guy, you know, uh, or say that he's he's everything that's wrong with Hanshin fans. I'm not trying to say that at all. I think a lot of Hanshin fans kind of go through those periods. But all that to say, man, after 143 regular season games and the playoffs and 
all the coverage that I've done of the Hanshin Tigers, and you know, I'm also limited. I don't actually get to talk to Okada himself, and I don't get to talk to the players. But just from reading all the media reports and all that kind of stuff, like there is, there was definitely a different feel about this team in 2023 than there was. And again, not bashing Yano or Kanemoto or Wada, who are the other managers, um, you know, that were leading the team while I was uh, doing H10. Just a very different feel. Um, yeah. Based in based on the articles and all that stuff, and as I kind of alluded to earlier, just his way of knowing how to deflect and how to kind of soften the media's attention and criticism or whatever of the team. And sure, when the team plays well, of course, there's less criticism. But you know, even in those times when they weren't doing well, I just can't, I can't give enough credit to Okada and the job he did of leading this team. And essentially, again, let's go back to 2022. What's the difference between this team and that team as far as members go, players go? The roster is by and large the same. But they all played one position rather than three or four each. Yes, that's one difference. And then I think, you know, again, I loved Yano as a manager. I love Yano as a person. Mm-hmm. But he did talk a lot of fantasy, right? You know, his... <laughs> his well, we we believe before the season starts that we're the winners and we're going to talk not as we want to win, but we have won. Well, okay, in retrospect, that didn't work. I mean, there was all kind of stuff in Yano's way of doing things that just didn't work for the Tigers that year. And again, I'm not trying to say he's a bad manager, but with Okada, everything just worked according to his plan. Mm-hmm. Magician. Yes, Okada magic for sure. Crazy stuff. So, uh, we're having troubles landing this plane, everybody, but I think we're going to have to bring it to, uh, to a, a close here. Um, we just want to thank you all for being along with us on this amazing historical ride that we've been on in 2023. The Hanshin Tigers are the champions of Japan for the first time in 38 years. It will not be another 38 years before it happens again. I can't promise you that, but I definitely feel like, yeah, yeah. So congratulations to the Hanshin Tigers of 2023. Congratulations to all the fans, all of you listening as well. Um, Well-deserved. Enjoy this time. Enjoy. Um, hope you enjoyed this episode that was extra long because we couldn't stop talking about the greatness of our team. Um, enjoy the off-season. Rest up well because the next thing on the docket, Matt Merton said this in his uh, post on X as well. And I've heard other fans say it as well. The next thing on the agenda, man, is to move on and look to repeat. Correct? That's right. In fact, Okada was told as much by the owner saying, it's never been done in Tiger's history. Let's go for the Rempa. That's right. That's right. So obviously, in between, Sanjay, the team is going to be going on their usual you show Ryoko, right? I mean, that's happened happened in 05 for the last time for this team and 03 and so on. Right, the the winning team goes on a team vacation, and often it's in your backyard, man. Yeah, come on down to Honolulu, Hanshin Tigers. Sanjay, find some time, take some time off of work when you hear that they're going to be there, and stalk the heck out of them, man. <laughs> I'm going to be stalking, man, everywhere they are. Awesome. I hope the foreign players actually join that trip as well. Yeah, that'd be cool. I think they have. I shouldn't say they have to, but they should. They should. And they, I'm sure they're more than welcome to. And it'd be an easy hop for them. Yeah. I don't think they would say no thanks to a free trip to Hawaii, right? <laughs> so there you go. Um, all the rest of you as well. Um, I'm not saying go to Hawaii, but find a way to celebrate this amazing year and enjoy the off season. And we will try to be back with a couple of episodes 
probably some interviews with, if not players, then people surrounding the game in some way, shape, or form. Just to, you know, stay in touch with us, though. You know, if you want to ever reach out to me with any kind of message of any sort, I tend to reply to everything that I get. And so I like to be interactive with everyone. So feel free to reach out to me. Uh, but uh, enjoy the offseason. Again, thank you for tuning in. Check us out on all the socials and on the website. Uh, check us out in all the much-needed places. i got to thank Sanjay for riding along with me for every episode this season and for the past several seasons. Man, it has been such a pleasure potting with you. Thank you for having me along, and congratulations, because you deserve a lot of accolades for all you've done for the Hanshin Tigers Nation, English Nation. Yeah. And Otsukare-sama. Azas. Thank you so much, and thank you, show. Thank you so much for mixing this show for us. Man, I can't believe he's been doing this for three years, but I appreciate every episode that has come out so much more because it's done so well by you. So, arigato, merci, gracias, kamsamida, etc. Thank you so much. Arigato, and don't forget mahalo. Mahalo as well. Yes, indeed. All right, Tigers Nation, enjoy the off season. This has been H10, Hanshin Tigers, English News.